Okay, let's put my phone on Do Not Disturb. So JT doesn't call me in the middle of it. All right. Hi, guys. So fun to be together again. I have to say, I'm going to give a little shout out to, um, I'll say the Danielson girls and all their helpers, because that is what, who made this look amazing. It wasn't me. I don't have to cut it. And we had a food team who made the food look all pretty. And Kezi behind the scenes, she's out there right now doing a lot of things. All of our leaders helped out a lot. So the game team, all the things, okay? So a lot of things go into this stuff. So I want you to be appreciative to your leaders and a lot of other students that help too. Um, hi guys, I'm super excited for this again, second annual. I didn't know if I was gonna be able to pull it off this year being pregnant, but I couldn't, I couldn't let it go by. It was so great last year. So you'll have to excuse me. I'm, I might be a little bit more out of breath. I catch my breath. It's kind of hard at this stage of pregnancy to um, breathe normally. <laughs> so she's squishing my diaphragm a little bit. Um, so most of you know me. I'm married to JT Stead, the pastor here at Redeemer. And I'm really thankful to be able to speak to you. It's, I have such a passion um, for women knowing who God is, and it's such a cool thing that 100 young students want to come and learn about who God is. Um, I've been kind of mulling over, chewing on a topic for quite a few months now, and I've been itching to share it with you guys. Um, so if you have something to take notes, that would be great. I didn't provide that for you, so hope you have something. Or you can just listen. Um, the title of my message is something to the effect of teach what accords with sound doctrine. Don't be a weak woman. And it's kind of a long title, but I had to get it all in there because I couldn't quite figure out exactly what um, I wanted to call it. Um, I always try to touch on something women related when it comes to Valentine's night, but I never want to do that cliche talk about love and boys and because I'm a little bit cynical, I would say. Contrary to popular opinion of the average woman, I actually don't really love romantic comedies because I think they're really cheesy. My husband actually really likes them. You can, you can tease him about that. Um, but I also think they can tend to convey some really problematic ideas about love and relationships. So anyway, I did want to talk about how we are to relate to our emotions as women and how we're to guard our hearts in every area of life which can apply to relationships and dating. So that's not totally out of the realm here. We'll jump around a bit, but I'm gonna camp in a passage that actually JT preached on at the end of July last summer, 2 Timothy 3. So why don't you turn with me there? 2 Timothy 3. I'll give you guys some time. Sword drill, who's there first? I love hearing the pages turn. So great. All right. I love this quote by John Piper because it sums up how I feel about this topic. It says, do not settle for wimpy theology. It is beneath you. God is too great and Christ is too glorious. Ever since JT had preached on Sunday about scriptural sufficiency, that was the passage he used, this passage, our focus today, the scripture has been stuck in my mind. We'll start in verse 1 of 2 Timothy 2. Oh, wait. That's the 2 Timothy 3. Can somebody check this for me? Liv, make sure my, my reference is right. Where it starts, but understand this, that in the last days... Is that 3? Okay, 3. I had my notes up at 2. So it's 2 Timothy 3. 
But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, ungodly, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those that creep into households and capture weak women. Burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at knowledge of the truth. Just as James and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men are corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. The part that stuck out to me since I heard it and I keep mulling over in my mind is the phrase creeping into households and capturing weak women. This is not an accident. Each word in scripture is breathed out by God and intentional, intentional and profitable for teaching and instructing. As we see in 2 Timothy, it says that. So I asked myself, why would, why would the Lord breathe out this phrase into scripture for us today? Does this mean that women aren't strong or they're lesser than men? I can feel the tension here, can't you? Don't we always kind of feel the tension when we hear passages about submission or women not being allowed to speak in church, things like that? Even writing this message, I kind of felt that. But part of what I think our problem today is, is that when we see something we feel uneasy about in scripture, our natural inclination is to skip past it. But stick with me, I truly believe that God has something for us here today, and I don't want to miss it because we are scared we might feel a little bit uncomfortable. What does this passage mean when it says weak women? And why are we, as women, particularly vulnerable in today's culture? I think this goes even deeper than the passage and hits at the heart of what I'd like to convey today the importance of sound doctrine, and the danger we face as those around us are led astray by various passions and pleasures, like 2 Timothy says. These people are not believing or living in accord with sound doctrine. I truly believe that every problem in our lives, in our culture, and even in the church today, comes down to one, what we believe about God, and two, what we believe about ourselves, which is, at its root, theology. Some people have a bad taste in their mouth about theology because they see it as a way to kind of stick your nose up at people or think you're better than them. Or maybe they're bored by the idea of theology thinking it means we have to sit down and read 3,000 page books and we don't have, have any fun. For myself, when I first came to know God and immersed myself in the church, I didn't grow up in the church. One of my biggest reservations, for lack of a better word, was, I think I articulated this, I didn't want to become a theological jerk. I didn't want others to think that I was going to beat them over the head with a Bible. So I thought my answer was just kind of listen to people, just accept what they have to say, not speak much truth or anything that would offend them. And truly what it came down to was my theology was more grounded in how I felt and what I wanted God to be and not who he really was. I was convinced I would not become a Calvinist because the only ones I knew at the time weren't always the nicest. Um, you all know what I'm talking about. This is a typical stereotype, bold, unapologetic people, which I'll say I love about them because sometimes I lack that. But when I first met some Calvinists, and that's just like a, a theological term for, oh, I probably shouldn't get into this right now, right? 
It's just a theological term for somebody who believes in the doctrine of election. It just starts there. Um, when I first had met some Calvinists, they were in what most call the cage stage of Calvinism. It's just a silly phrase to explain that someone's so passionate about doctrine, like a doctrine of Calvinism, and needs to remain in a cage until the theology they've learned has seeped into their heart and humbled them. I was thrown off by this, bothered by their pride and attitude, but here's where I went wrong. And if you're feeling this way today, I want to encourage you. Instead of having grace and compassion for a fellow believer whose heart was in the right place but was going about it wrong, I decided, well, the theology was the culprit. But how could God's word be the thing to blame and not sinful human beings? I was not aware at the time of my strong propensity as a woman to overemphasize my feelings and my emotions and to underemphasize God's word. So what was I to do? Point number one, acknowledge your weaknesses. Romans 13, 13 through 14 says, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify his desires. Making no provision for your flesh means you're not allowing yourself to walk blindly into a situation where you know you're going to be tempted to sin. You have to know yourself well enough to know where you're weak so that you're able to attack your sin by the power of the Holy Spirit and not be blinded or surprised at your flesh's desire to run towards that which doesn't please God. What areas in your life right now are you particularly sensitive to? That sinful tendency you kind of always fall back into? How can you acknowledge your weakness here and be ready to fight? You see, like I said, I had a realization at the time that with the Lord that my theology was really rooted in my own feelings and frustrations and not into looking at God's word objectively. I saw that I was particularly vulnerable to sinful thinking when I was emotional, tired, and bothered by something. This was me acknowledging my weakness and being aware so I give no inroad to my flesh. And maybe you're like me. And this is where I start to understand the passage that says weak women are being captured. So point number one, acknowledge our weakness so we can be prepared to fight the flesh biblically. And point number two, we need to define our terms biblically. You see, I do think it's particularly hard for ladies. We're naturally more empathetic, nurturing, understanding, which is a gift from God. But the world has used this idea of empathy and prized it as the most important virtue to the point where we forget that it's often the most loving thing to do to speak the truth to those who need it. We're too often defining our terms by the world's standards and not by the Bible. Here's where the world gets their definition of empathy wrong. Empathy to most means feeling the feelings of others and approving of their lifestyle and ideas. But true empathy, biblical empathy, doesn't mean absence of truth. Empathy needs to accord with reality, what's true. For example, if my friend is feeling jealous of her other friend because she believes her to be more beautiful or more talented, that feeling is not valid or righteous or true. It's a sinful feeling to be jealous. If we let this idea of empathy that the world says take over, we'll start to guide our lives by how we feel and how others may feel and in turn sacrifice truth. I hear a phrase often said by women in response to them expressing their emotions. They'll say something like, 
Whatever you feel in the moment is valid. Your feelings are valid. It's okay to feel that way. How, how many of you have said that or heard that? Yeah, <laughs> Jess, thank you. <laughs> Not everyone's really brave to put their hand up high. Um, and let me be careful here. I, I, wanna, I wanna clarify, not all feelings are sinful. Um, and it's okay, it's understandable to feel certain ways. But this is what I started to say instead. I can understand why, as a sinful human being, and, and particularly as a woman, that you'd feel that way. But let's try to think through what you're feeling and if it lines up with scripture. You see, because not all feelings are valid. Not all feelings line up with what's true. And if we validate all our emotions and emotions of people around us, we'll end up confirming and affirming sin at the same time. Two verses come to mind when I think of the idea of not being led by the world's definition of empathy. And this leads to my third point. Number three, put off and put on. We're putting off wrong thinking, repenting and putting on right thinking. The first verse I love when it comes to the topic is 2 Corinthians 10, 5. It says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. That last line is what kind of sticks true in my mind. When we hear an argument, a complaint, or when we feel something that is hard to process or attach truth to, what does God's word say that we ought to do? It doesn't say, well, just try to understand how you feel that way and then just have empathy for that feeling or angry thought. No, it says immediately take that thought captive to obey Christ. Philippians 4, many of you know this verse, but why don't you take a minute and turn with me to the passage and we'll read it together. Philippians 4. Look with your own eyes and check me. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. This is what I like to call a guideline for my mind. When I have a thought that I can't place quite correctly, I'll often use this as a questionnaire as I diagnose sin in my heart. For example, we can use the jealousy concept. I feel jealous of my friend because she has a boyfriend and I don't, or she's married and I'm not, or she's pregnant and I'm not. This was a big deal for me in 2020 when I had hoped to be pregnant and wasn't. So what did I tell myself? I repeated out loud in prayer what my thought was. I would say, Lord, I feel jealous because my friend is pregnant and I'd like to be. And here's where I'd use Philippians 4a. I'd talk this out with the Lord. Caitlin, is that thought true? Is it honorable to God? Is it lovely or commendable? Is it excellent or worthy of praise? And I go down the list. And generally what I come up with is most times my thoughts are not ultimately in line with what's true and with what honors God. So what am I to do? Well, I'm to repent of my sinful thinking and ask God for biblical, true thinking, and replace that with sinful thinking. The Bible calls this process, like I said in my point, putting off and putting on. You're putting off your sinful ways, sinful thoughts, and you're putting on godliness through the Holy Spirit's work. What I find today is many women, there's a passivity among women. We prefer to be seen as the soft-spoken, really polite lady, 
rather than strong and bold. And I'm not saying strong and bold as most would define it, like feministic roots. I do believe God's word calls us to be meek and gentle and humble. And I think sometimes we have that more than guys do, which is good. But I do think that this is already many of our natural inclinations. And because I know a good amount of you, I think this is probably more your natural inclination is to stand back and be calm and quiet. But I feel like we have to fight to be lovingly strong in our convictions these days. And in today's culture, I believe we're far too passive and lenient, especially when it comes to guarding our hearts against our emotions. In this view of passivity, we're often thrown off by ladies who speak in stronger tones and are automatically saying they're unloving when only God knows their hearts. We gravitate towards those who don't rock the boat quite as much so we don't have to be called out on our sin. We shy away from confrontation under the guise of not wanting to stir up controversy in front of others, but then what do we do? We go home to our families and friends and we gossip about the same people. It's cowardly. And ladies, I really want more for you. Here's the hard truth. We are choosing these things. We are choosing to disobey God, think about how we feel versus obeying him, and we are missing the mark here. If we're honest with ourselves, I think we'd rather make our own God who's just nice and his word doesn't put us in awkward situations where we might have to speak up and risk a relationship, then worship the God who's countercultural and absolutely worthy of our praise. The bottom line is this. We don't want to believe that God would allow some to go to hell and not others because it just doesn't feel right. We don't want to believe in a God that could say homosexuality is a sin because it doesn't feel loving. And we don't want to draw black and white lines in scripture where there are some because it feels too harsh. You can see how much it's about how we feel. As a caveat, because I can hear it now in my head, well, Caitlin, it does matter how you say things. You can't just be mean or unkind. So I will say this. It does matter how you speak. It matters how you say things. The Bible commands that true love is kind and not rude not proud and seeks its own way. That's in 1 Corinthians 13. So we are called to this as well. But we can't use this as an excuse to keep our mouth shut or to not seek out answers from God's word under the guise of kindness when really what we mean is we want to avoid conflict. We need to be so confident in who God is and what he says that we're not afraid to speak up in love because we're so compelled by who God is And we know that what he has to say is best for other people. JT and I were talking the other day about raising a little girl in today's culture. We were discussing our aspirations for our daughter. One thing we both agreed on was we want to raise a little girl who is loving and kind, loves her God-given role as a woman, and is gentle with others. But we also want to raise a girl who is so confident in who God says he is and who she is and his word that she doesn't shy away from conflict because she is sure of who she's serving. We don't want her to be so caught up in how she feels that she can't discern what is true. This is something I really struggled with as a young girl, still do. This doesn't have to be one or the other. You can be gentle and also be strong, strong in who God is. We need both. But this led me to think, what will be the obstacles that will stand in the way of my daughter learning these things? Why else do we shy away from hard topics, truth, and theology? We've already seen because, one, we prize our feelings over truth. But why else? 
Often I think it comes down to this, fear of man. We prioritize what others' opinions of us is over truly loving them, right? Because loving others looks like telling them what's true, even when it's not comfortable, but our flesh, when we're fearing, tells us our greatest importance is our reputation. But what does God's word say? Psalm 145, 14 says, the Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The Lord is the one who upholds our reputation. And that's where our security lies. I found that there's, those are the two main reasons for women not wanting to learn theology, an overemphasis on our feelings and fear. And lastly, I've also not, noticed a growing concern among women for practicality over doctrine. What this means is that I've noticed many women who are more inclined to read a book on you know, how to be a better woman than they are to be about something maybe about like attributes of God. Again, I'm going to say clearly, I want to get all the uh, possible responses out there. Both have their place. It is good to be practical about our theology and not to talk over people's heads and use big words and phrases that they don't understand. But that's not, that's not what I want. But I've been asking myself why this is. I think it's because an overemphasis on the practical gives us a way to measure ourselves. If I have a five-step plan on how to be a better me, then I can measure my godliness and wisdom next to the girl next to me and feel pretty good about myself. Or let's say I've been slacking in an area in my walk with God. I may read this book, get quick results, be extremely disciplined for two or three weeks, and then you get a boost of confidence about how awesome I am. But what's that usually followed by? Well, when we change anything cold turkey in our lives, we tend to fall off the bandwagon as quickly as we got on. Like how many of you have continued in your New Year's resolution from last year until now? No, yeah, me either. Not many of us. Again, this doesn't mean that it's not important to be specific in our growth and our accountability that we can make goals. I think that's good. I think both of these things are vitally important for our Christian walk. And I think practical theology that is rooted in doctrine and who God is, is so important for how we live the Christian life. But I need to suggest here that there's a problem among women who are not inclined towards theology, and I believe this will lead us down a path of destruction. Why? Because like I said earlier, if we don't know who God is and who we are, and what to do about what's happening in our world today that's only getting more hostile to Christianity, we will not be able to weather living in this world and reaching those around us. And we may ourselves be captured by the theology. Practical theology is not enough. The truth is, we all have a theology. Theology is simply belief about God. Even non-believers, people who are not Christians, have, theo- have a theology. Some will often say, I've heard before, um, well, theology's not that important. I don't need doctrine or catechisms or systems to think about the content of the Bible. I just need to read my Bible, and I'm good. To which I usually respond with, so what do you believe about God in the Bible? And their response usually is, well, you know, I believe that God is our Father, that Jesus died on the cross, and that we can have a relationship with God. And so then I usually ask, so what is that? It's theology it's doctrine so they have a theology they just don't want the system of it and as an aside the bible trumps all man-made catechism system theological standing any person but it all comes from there 
So my point is this, as women, if we don't have a clear theology and understanding, not only of our Bible and who God says he is, but how we are to respond to the world, we will be captured by the world, and that will be us in 1 Timothy, weak women, captured and in bondage. So now we know we need this. What are we exactly are we to know? In the book of Titus, it was the first century, and Titus was the pastor of a church there. Unbelievers there were described as detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Pretty harsh. But doesn't this sound like our world today? People are blatantly rejecting God and running after what pleases themselves. And what was at the heart of their sinful living? It says this, false teaching and false doctrine. Titus 1, 10 through 11 says, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. So what were believers to do amidst this time? Paul says something so simple, yet groundbreaking. But as for you, Titus, and I would say this for you, ladies, teach what accords with sound doctrine. That's it. The word sound here refers to hygiene. It means keeping healthy and wholesome and clean. It is what is right. And what is right is in God's word. Speaking truth and sound doctrine to others doesn't just go for non-believers, right? This also goes for the believers around you and in this room right now who are believing something that is contrary, even in minor ways, to truth. Generally, I see a slippery slope happened kind of in the church today. Believers compromise in one area, and a few months later, um, they compromise in other places. Like, for example, they decide, well, homosexuality isn't that bad as I thought it once was. And then later, they go down another path to say, oh, Jesus really isn't God, and it goes from there. We need to be bold in love to speak to our Christian friends and family members who are walking a dangerous path and bring them back to the fold. Did you know that it is said that 85% of women are the ones who are reading, oh, sorry, I went ahead of my notes here. Let's see. Okay, no, I'm good, actually. I didn't mess up. Um, it is 85% of women are the ones who are reading all the self-help books. Why? Because the devil, our flesh, and the world are crafty. This fluff tugs on our hearts, it tells insecure ladies what they need to do to improve themselves, and it takes us on a constant hamster wheel of perfectionism that will never satisfy us. It's a perfect recipe for the enemy to take women down a path that will only lead to destruction. I heard a glaring stat once that was to non-believing teens and young adults. They were asked if they had a personal friend or acquaintance who was a Christian. Of the 85% who said that they did, only 15% of them said that they could see any lifestyle differences in them. Pretty sad. And why is this? It's not that they just don't obey or, or they're just not disciplined enough because there are even non-believers who are more disciplined than some believers. It's the truth that they know about God, the sound doctrine that they may have heard or learned, has not seeped down into their heart enough to affect change in their life. The answer to these things is not less Bible and less theology, but more. So we know sound doctrine is necessary to share, but what is it that we need to share? 
An important part of the process of putting off and putting on requires us to be clear on what is right and biblical truth we are to believe. We have to know what's right in order to know what to put on. Well, I'll give you the Sunday school answer. First and foremost, it's simply God's word. Dive into the word, make a plan, and read along with a commentary or study Bible so you can understand better. It's that simple. It's not always easy, but it is simple. Share what you're learning. Ask questions to your leaders when you don't understand. And pray that God would increase your desire and heart to learn about him and not be bored by it. Seek out theological books, catechisms, podcasts, songs, sermons that have helped you to understand big truths about God and his word, and then share those things when you learn them with other people. So as review, first, we were to acknowledge our need for truth and our susceptibility to believe our own feelings over God's word. Then we are to define our terms biblically. Third, we're to make a practice of putting off and putting on. And lastly, number four, We are to strive for contentment by keeping our eyes on Christ. I've seen a growing struggle among women and girls today, and I would say even specifically in our youth group, something I've noticed um, is a discontentment in the season of life you're in. I'm going to tell you this is really normal for your age, and really at any stage of life, it's a fight to be content. Some people may laugh and sit and scoff at you at maybe 16 years old, could be struggling to be content being single, but I don't laugh at that. I believe that right now those feelings are real and difficult to fight, especially in today's culture, especially as you may be watching those around you date or get married and enjoy their time and you may feel alone, especially on a day like Valentine's Day. But this is why God calls us to guard our hearts And this is why it matters that we have an eternal perspective, looking to Christ, remembering our inheritance in heaven, and why we ought to be so careful to examine our thoughts and emotions to the obedience of Christ. We are in every season to seek for contentment in Christ and to align our big, real emotions with what God says in his word. As you guys may know, I did get married very young, um, but of course I battled contentment as each season changed. The year of 2020 and into 2021, as many of you know, JT and I walked a pretty tough time for our family. I was faced with the struggle for contentment, very real, and was pained by my lack of it. We felt really sure that God wanted us to start a family and were excited about the opportunity. We got pregnant pretty quickly in March of 2020, the first month of trying, and fortunately miscarried our first pregnancy in May. It wasn't until August, over a year and a half later, that we were pregnant again. It was easily one of our most trying years or so in our marriage to suffer together. I tell you this because what I cling to most in that time of uncertainty and discontentment, and even in questioning why the Lord wanted to allow this in my life, was my knowledge of who God is and his faithfulness to me. And that's why I feel compelled to teach this message. This is why sound doctrine and is so important than, more important than anything else. This is why guarding our hearts and taking our emotions and thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ is of utmost importance and essential to our walk with God. The work that JT and I put in prior to our trial, only by the grace of the Holy Spirit, was both the fuel and the foundation that kept us afloat as we weathered a storm. This trial forced me to believe what was true about God over my feelings that were quite all over the place. 
And as I felt the urge to indulge my thoughts and my feelings, I ran to see what God's word said and chose in that moment in prayer to believe the Bible's words over my own. Not perfectly, but this is my attempt. There were moments where I felt my faith tested and I was forced to believe that, that God was good even when everything around me felt unstable. Psalm 23, 4, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And when it felt like those around me who were pregnant while I desperately wanted to be had a better life, I clung with my whole heart to the promises of God in Ecclesiastes 3, 4 that says, there is a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Excuse me. That verse reminded me that I could be happy and rejoice with my friends in their joy. Why? Because God knows what's best for each of us and he's seen fit to do what's best in my life as well as with yours. It took more strength than I could say to say, I can rejoice with those who rejoice because I would be comforted by God as Matthew 5, 4 says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. And this isn't gonna look the same for us, for all of us here, we're in different situations. But I want you to be able to say with me that I can trust a God who is always good to his children, who loves me. Why? Because Romans 8 says, he works all things together for your good. Now you can see how important it is to be able to hide God's word in your heart. When you walk a trial you didn't even know you thought you would take, it really matters that you know the character of God, of the God you serve, because it may be all you have to cling to in that time. I hope this for you today, girls. I don't wish trials on your life, although I know trials help us to grow in Christ, but I do wish that you would begin to build your knowledge of God and sound doctrine so when the storm hits, you would remain secure in the hand of God because you're sure you are held by a God who loves you. I pray that you can lean on his word that you have learned beforehand and seen him be faithful in your life as he sees you through each trial. This doesn't mean that this trial will be easy or that you'll never doubt or question, I did, but it does mean that you'll conclude as I have in 1 Peter 5.10. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So today, if you're feeling any big emotion, any discontentment, maybe it's about singleness, Maybe it's about your job. It's about to be Valentine's Day, so maybe that's hard for you, and that's okay. Maybe it's your home life. Whatever it is today, I want to encourage you to run to Christ. Let him be the hope of your life and the focus when all else seems to fade away. Today, I want to leave you with this. The most important theology you can know today is that the God of the universe, the one who created all things, who is our Heavenly Father, made the world and all things in it, He's holy and righteous and good. There's no sin in him. And he made people, the first people, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve sinned, rebelled against God and his perfect plan and brought sin into the world that affects us even today. The sin in the world is the reason why we see such disunity, strife, sadness, evil, even women being captured by unsound doctrine. Sin is at the root. And you today, no matter if you consider yourself a good person or not, have disobeyed God's law and sinned. And you need to be reconciled to a holy and righteous and loving God. But in your sin, you cannot. So God has made a way for you. And if you're a believer today, don't tune this out. 
He sent his son, Jesus, a perfect representative on your behalf, who is fully God and fully man, to take on your penalty of sin on himself and rise again from the grave, defeating sin and death so that you can have a relationship with him. If you get anything out of this today, I hope that you would know that God has made a way for you to know him and that you would repent today and turn to him. And for those of you who call yourselves Christians, this is the greatest news to remind you why you ought to make it your life's joy and mission to know God's word, relentlessly be learners of theology, and to share what you know with a world around you who desperately needs it. I want to encourage you today, if you're wanting to learn more theology and don't know where to start, find a leader around you. They're all over here. And we'll give you resources for that. And lastly, I just would say, don't be afraid to ask questions. That's how we all learn. I remember there's been many times where I'm like, I usually go to JT and I'm like, I know I should probably know this, but I don't know it. Like I, I, I didn't grow up in the church, so I didn't know a lot of how the Bible fits together. And a lot of the Old Testament, like Jay and I are reading um, Ezra right now and I'm, I'm like lost half the time. Like what, what king did what? Can you explain that? How did, what? I don't, I don't get it. And it's okay. That's how we all learn. There's nothing silly or embarrassing about a question about doctrine. And if you're asked a question that you don't know the answer to, tell the person you'll get back to them, ask a trusted friend or leader and get back to them when you can. No one has the answers. Not even your leaders or pastors. They don't have all the answers. We're all on a journey of learning about God together. So I'll say to you in closing, we'll make a toast with your waters. Uh, cheers today. This is my toast to you guys. To being strong women. Oh, yeah. Put your water bottles up, girls. This is great. I didn't even plan. That wasn't in my notes. Great. This is on behalf, I'm gonna shout out to Betsy Dirk. She always does a toast and it's the best. So we'll do it. Cheers today, it's a long toast. So hold your arms up. To being strong women who don't need to prove their strength, who are only strong because of the spirit in them and because they can agree with Paul when he says in 2 Corinthians 12, nine, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so the power of Christ may rest upon me. Cheers. Cheers, everybody. All right, let's pray. <laughs> Lord, we are so thankful to be with you, to be with your people, to know you, to be loved by you. We're thankful that we, we can trust a God who works all things together for our good. There's nothing that's happening in any of these girls' lives that is without your hand on it. Even the trials, Lord, that you send our way are because you love us, not because you, you're angry at us, Lord, you discipline the ones you love. And I know for me in my life, when I've walked through a trial and even in the midst of it, it's been really confusing why you're doing what you're doing. But then I get to look on the other side and say, I know why you did that. And even if I don't, Lord, I, I can trust that you know. And one day I will know when I'm with you again in heaven. So I pray for these ladies that they would be reminded of who you are, that they would be encouraged by um, your word, that they would be relentless learners um, of who you are and what you've done, and, um, and that they would share that with others, Lord, so they wouldn't hide it, but they would share because they know our world needs it. Um, we love you, Lord, in your name. Amen. All right, we're going to do one last song.